Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sets them with the princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of, the, of children. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Jemima. And let me just confirm with you that AGM this afternoon is not at 1pm, as it said on the slide. It is 3pm. So if you want to come to the AGM, it's 3pm here in this room this afternoon. Well, I wonder this morning, are you a, are you a texter? Do you like the, the mode of communication that is text messages? They've changed a bit, haven't they, over the years? Uh, for those of you who are a little bit older, you might remember back in the days when texting on your phone required you to push the numbers, like multiple times and it took about 10 minutes to send a five-word text. I don't know if you remember back in those days. And then our phones developed a little bit and we got that predictive text and then finally today we have the full keyboards and they seem to know what you want to say before you've even said it some of the time. I think they're a great form of communication text messages. They're quick and they're succinct and they don't seem to get lost in like the, you know, the endless uh, train of emails how they often get lost. And yet text messages is a bit hard to communicate tone, isn't it? to communicate tone. I guess that's where the emojis came from because tone is important in our communication. And if you're a child or you've been a child, you'll know exactly what this is like. There's a big difference, isn't there, between mum um, calling out to you, it's dinner time, versus mum wagging with her finger and saying to you, it's dinner time. You know, tone is really important. Today we're looking at a psalm together. We're looking at Psalm 113. It's a great psalm. It's a psalm that Christopher Ashe calls a uniquely sustained and insistent exhortation to praise God. A uniquely sustained and insistent exhortation to praise God. It's all about praise. And if you've got a Bible in front of you, I'd encourage you to open it to Psalm 113. And if you just look around the passage, you'll see that it's the third psalm in a row that starts with the word, praise the Lord. Psalm 111, 112, and now 113. They all begin the same way. Praise the Lord. And in the original language, that, that phrase, praise the Lord, I understand it to be just one word. Hallelujah. You might have heard of that word before. We use it sometimes in our speech. And it's been translated here as praise the Lord. Now, we do occasionally use the word hallelujah in our language today, don't we? But I reckon normally when we use the word hallelujah, it's kind of, well, it has some sort of connotation of God's deliverance and God's protection associated with it. So let me just set the scene for you. You've been working all Saturday morning to prepare a pie. You've cooked the ingredients for the filling. You've packed it into a pie dish. You put a bit of pastry on top and you put your hard work into the oven. And then you think, ah, time for a rest. You turn to your new favourite series on the TV and before long, an hour and a half has gone by and you remember suddenly the pie in the oven. 
You rush, open the door, and the pie's fine. It hasn't burnt yet. And you say, hallelujah, right? The pie's okay. Let me ask you, is that what's going on in this passage? Is this a psalm of relief? Is the praise of God because of a relief? I don't think so. Or is this an invitation, do you think? Is this an invitation to praise God? If you like, join with me in the praise of God, if you feel like it. Again, I don't think so. I reckon this psalm is more directed, in fact, I think this is an instruction to praise God, almost a command. If you want a big word, it's what Christopher Ashe called an exhortation. An exhortation to praise God. Let's have a look at it, read with me in the first few verses of this psalm. And as we read these first few verses, consider them an instruction to join in the psalmist. This is what it says. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. It really is a sustained call, isn't it? To praise God, to praise his name. Why do you think it tells us to praise his name? I think at least in part, that's because the name of God is how God is revealed to us. It tells us what God is like. And as you see here, the instruction is to praise God at all times, and I think also in all places. It says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, from dawn until dusk. But verse 3, at least to me, it looks like it's not just about time, but it also seems to be about location. So from the east to the west the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. Praise God at all times and in all places. A sustained call to praise God. And if we read these verses as an instruction then, as an exhortation, it seems that what the psalmist wants is for us to join like a chorus of voices in the praise of God. And we do that when we sing, don't we? to join together in the praise of God. Now, you don't need to know me too long uh, or have known me for too long to know that I'm hopelessly lost when it comes to music. I, I like listening to music. I do enjoy listening to music. But when it comes to actually playing or contributing to music, I am hopelessly lost. We didn't have the birthday song this morning, but when we have, I have to hold myself back from clapping along with the rest of you because I can't even clap in time and it's just distracting for everyone else. Thankfully, we have very many gifted musicians here at Trinity Church only who lead us as we sing our praises to God together. And occasionally after a Sunday morning, I'll send Chris a text. Chris heads up our music and I'll say to Chris in a text message, we're talking about text already, uh, I'll say something like this, Chris, thanks so much, the music was terrific today. And nearly always, Chris will respond with a comment about not the way in which he enjoyed playing with the other musicians, but the way in which he enjoyed listening to the rest of the church join in in the praise of God. In fact, I've got a text of Chris's on the screen up here behind me. Let me read it to you. I'm going to read it verbatim. I sent Chris this text message after Easter, and I thanked Chris for the music, and his text says, Thanks, Carl. Yes, it was a great morning together. Loved hearing people sing How Great Thou Art and other songs with joy and energy. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. I reckon Chris and the psalmist are on the same page here. What Chris wants with our music is for you to join him 
in the praise of our great God. What makes for a great day of music is then not so much that the band all played in tune or kept in time or whatever it is that musicians do, but that together we joined in the praise of God with enthusiasm, with energy. Now, I should say at this point, it doesn't just have to be a song. A song is one of the ways in which we express our our love and our joy and our delight in God, but we worship God in lots of different ways. In Romans 12, we read that it's living in a way that pleases God and not conforming to the pattern of the world around us, that that's what we do when we are worshipping God. We praise God in different ways, by living in a way that pleases Him, by praying to Him, but we also do it by singing to Him. So here's what I think this psalm is doing. I think it's instructing us to join in the praise of our God with enthusiasm and with conviction from the morning when the sun rises right through to the time where it sets. At all times and in all places, we are to praise the Lord. And if you've got that far, if you've got through the first three verses, the the question that must be on our lips then is, is why? What makes God worthy of praise from the rising of the sun to the place where it sits? Why should we join with others in the eternal praise of God? And what I want you to see this morning is the psalmist gives us two reasons why we should praise God. We see the first of these in verses 4 to 6. Let me read to you verses 4 to 6 of the psalm. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? See, here in these verses, we see the supreme majesty and the dominion of our God. He's exalted above all the nations, his glory above the heavens. A couple of weeks back, we looked at Psalm 19 together, and we talked about the the sheer size of the universe that we live in. Do you remember how many stars there are in the heavens? We can only see, apparently, a few thousand on a clear night. But the astronomers suspect that there's something like 200 sextrillion stars. However many that is, it's 200 with lots of zeros at the end of it. Our universe is incomprehensibly big. And our God created each one of those stars. He's big beyond our ability to comprehend He's exalted above all the nations and his glory is above the heavens. Our God is powerful, incomparable, incomprehensible, big and mighty and that makes God worthy of praise. That's what our psalmist is saying. And yet, although our God is so big like that, do you see that our God is also a God who stoops down? He's also a God who's interested and concerned and involved with the things that are happening here on earth. We're so small in comparison to the rest of the universe, and yet God is concerned with us. He made 200 sextrillion stars, and yet he knows you. He stoops down to be near with you, and he does that so that we might know him better. He's a God who wants us to bring our concerns and our anxieties and our worries and our cares to him. 
So what makes our God worthy of this praise, worthy of sustained praise? Well, he's exalted above all the nations and yet at the same time, he's concerned with you. He wants to know about the things that are bothering you. The aches and the pains and the upsets and the disappointments. They might even seem insignificant, but he wants to know about them. He made 200 sextillion stars and yet he's concerned even with the very minor things, the broken fingernails of our world and everything in between. And that makes him a God worthy of our praise. That's the first reason. The second reason is that our God is a God who raises up the poor and the lowly and the needy. Have a look with, for me from verse 7 onwards in our psalm. This is what it says. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. See, this is the God we're talking about. He is a God who is enthroned. He is a God who is magnificent. He is a God who is all-powerful, all-seeing, and worthy of our praise because of his power and his might and his glory. And yet that same God stoops down to our level, and then when he's down at our level, he raises us up. I think in these verses, the psalmist lifts the poor and the needy and the childless woman, but I think we're supposed to see these things as images or ideas or examples of those who we today might just say are, are down on their luck. Those who are desperate, those who are in need, those who are, are trapped in poverty, those who are sad, lonely. You know, you might have food on the table today, but you might still feel desperate or in need or trapped. And I want you to see that our God is a God who stoops down and raises the poor up. And he raises us to an unimaginable position, seated with princes, the psalm says. That makes God worthy of our praise. Now, you might want me to pause here because there are plenty of Christian people in the world who live in poverty. There are plenty of Christian women who, despite years of prayer, remain unhappily childless. Christian people still suffer. So, so how can what this psalmist say ring true? How can God really raise the poor and the needy? Well, firstly, I want you to see that God does and sometimes will heal and repair and provide children and put food on the table. I guess he doesn't always do so. Let me give you an example of when this happened. Some of you might remember Hannah from 1 Samuel. Do you remember Hannah? childless woman she was presented as desperately sad and unable to have children but in God's kindness she conceived and gave birth to a boy and in her joy Hannah prays and the link in her prayer the link between her prayer and this psalm is undeniable let me read to you part of what Hannah prays it may be on the screen I'm not sure this is what Hannah prays she says the Lord sends poverty and wealth he humbles and he exalts here it is, see it matches the psalm. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. In Hannah's case, she was given a child, Samuel, and yet God doesn't always work this way. Not every childless woman is given a Samuel. I want to say for some, that's incredibly hard. 
years after Hannah prayed this prayer, another woman would sing a song of praise about the baby she carried. That woman was Mary, the mother of Jesus. And this is part of her song from Luke chapter 1. This is what Mary prays. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my God, in, in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. We praise God because he's worthy of praise because he stoops down and raises up those who are needy and desperate. And he's done that most clearly and most definitively in the person of Jesus, the baby that Mary carried. Now, over the course of the last year or so, Jack and I have been dipping into the Psalms with you. And while we've been doing that, we've been encouraging you to see the Psalms as words of praise or words, song words that have been sung by Jesus. That the Psalms are rightly sung by Jesus. Firstly by King David, then by King Jesus. And because we've been incorporated into Jesus by nature of our union with him, the Psalms are words that we too can sing. And in the case of Psalm 113, I want you to see these words as words that Jesus sung. But before you see them through his eyes in that sense, I want you to know that these are probably words that Jesus really did sing. Both Matthew and Mark, in their Gospel accounts, speak of the Last Supper. And in that Last Supper, they record for us a hymn that Jesus sung with his disciples. Do you ever wonder what that hymn is? Well, on the night of the Passover, the Jews sang... Psalm 113 through to 118 together. And so it's likely that in the upper room at the Last Supper, the disciples literally sang with Jesus the words of Psalm 113. Can't be 100% sure of it. Matthew and Mark don't tell us that it was Psalm 113, but they record the disciples and Jesus singing a hymn. And even if Jesus didn't sing these words at the Last Supper, I want you to see how well this psalm fits with the person and the work of Jesus. I want you to see these as being his words. See, there's many places in the Bible we can go to to see the supremacy and the kingly nature of Jesus. Just think of Colossians chapter 1, which speaks of the supremacy of Jesus and his work in creation and his majesty and glory. He is the one who reigns. He is the one who's enthroned. And yet, the story of the Bible is that Jesus took on flesh and blood. Jesus is the one who literally stooped down low and was born in the most humble of circumstances. Now we see this so clearly in another hymn that Paul records for us in the letter to the Philippians. Let me read to you this, uh, this uh, uh, little part of Philippians. It says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature... God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, he's like God, he's supreme, he's majestic. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Can you see how this psalm that speaks of God who is enthroned on high, who's majestic and yet stooped down, is a psalm about Jesus. He's rightly enthroned, and yet he stooped down, humbled himself by taking on flesh and blood. 
and in her flesh in his flesh and blood body he lifted the needy and the oppressed and the downtrodden that's what jesus is like he's concerned with the poor and the lowly and the desperate and the needy so when john the baptist's disciples came to ask jesus if he really was the promised one how does jesus reply well he says to john the baptist's disciples he says Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. That's the work of Jesus. Can you see then how this psalm is rightly sung as the words of Jesus? He's worthy of all praise. He's enthroned. He sits on high and yet Jesus stooped down. He humbled himself. He took on flesh and blood. And in doing so, he lifted the poor. And if we see this psalm then as a psalm sung by Jesus, it makes sense in a way how each of us and the poor and needy can be certain that we too will be raised and seated with Jesus. Another letter that Paul wrote, to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians, he reminds the Corinthians that just as Jesus was raised in the resurrection, so too the Corinthians will be raised. Then he goes on to say this, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I know that some of us are going through some pretty tricky times at the moment. Many of us have been sick. Maybe there's some loss of identity happening at the moment. Maybe your mental health is not great. Maybe you're feeling depressed or lonely. For some of us, the future is uncertain at the moment. And Paul here in 2 Corinthians, he speaks of the concerns of this world as, as light and momentary troubles. And yet they're kind of not really, are they? But what he's meaning is, in comparison to what awaits us, even the most disastrous of the troubles that we might face in this world are light and momentary because the eternal glory far outweighs the troubles of this world. And so, Paul says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, knowing that even if the worst of what can happen in this world happens to us, death, abandonment, shame, we have the promise of the resurrection in the age to come, being raised up and seated with princes. That's what praise is about, isn't it? Helping us to fix our eyes on what's unseen. Reminding us and reminding your brothers and sisters of the sure certainty that those of us who trust in Jesus will be raised and seated with princes. Praising God, it, it helps us to remember those things works on our hearts it's like like medicine for our hearts you know i reckon one of the really hard things for us to do as christians in the culture in which we live is to to put off the self 
I think our culture tells us that we each are in control. Essentially, we each wear a little crown. But that crown really belongs to Jesus. He's the king. And such a hard thing in our world today to take off that crown that we put on ourselves and put it instead on Jesus. But praise helps us to do that. Praise helps us to see Jesus in the right way. It helps us to order our heart in the right way. For the Israelites who first sung these psalms of praise, the culture around them was a culture that well, worshipped idols made of silver and gold and stone. And so praising the true God with these psalms helped them turn away from those sort of idols. In fact, come over in your Bibles to Psalm 115. You'll see this if you've got your, your Bible there. Come over to Psalm 115. I think maybe it'll pop up on the screen. This is what Psalm 115 says. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who made them will be like them, and so will all who trust in him. Amen. Psalm 115 helps us to see the futility of following idols made by human hands, right? You can see that there. Well, today our idols are a bit different, I think. Not so much gold and silver. Our idols, I think, are more to do with ourself. Our sense of self-righteousness or our sense of self-identity or our self-reliance. Our problem is that our hearts are not so much set on idols made of stone or gold or wood, but that our hearts are kind of set on ourselves. Our hearts are selfish and self-centered. I'm not looking at anyone specifically here. I think it's what our culture is like. We have a culture where the self is important. That's why we need to keep praising God. Because when we praise God, what we do is we take off the self-idolatry of our hearts. We dethrone ourselves. We take the crown that we put on our head and we give it back to Jesus. Praise works on the heart. Changing our hearts so that King Jesus will rightly be enthroned in our hearts. He's the one who's enthroned on high. He's the one who should be enthroned in our hearts. He's the one who's worthy of our praise because he's supreme and big and majestic but also because he's the one who stooped down to be with us and he's the one who promises to raise us in the resurrection. I think that's what this psalm is about. So we're going to say this psalm together now as a prayer. Um, I'd love you to join with me. The words will be on the screen. Will you uh, read it with me? Let's read it together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. 
Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Amen.